we're in um, part two of Reintroduction to End Times. Obviously, we, we, we've had part one. And uh, you'll remember in part one that we looked at seven dispensations, seven eras um, of time that God has used in this history of mankind, during which he has worked in certain ways, ministering in um, different ways to his people and developing what he wants to do for the glory of himself and indeed for the development of what we believe to be the church today. So some of those issues or some of those eras, if you want, are uh, what we call dispensations. The first one is called innocence. You'll remember that innocence is a, a time when man was called by God to be responsible to obey God within create within the creation account. Uh, of course, man failed to do that, and man succumbed to the temptation of the, the devil, and sin entered the world. Then we move to conscience, and um, here man was called to do good to one another and to provide a, a blood sacrifice for his sin. So man would sin, and the only way he'd get appeasement from that sin was to provide a blood sacrifice. Of course, again, man took shortcuts and uh, failed to do that correctly and honorably for the glory of God. Then we have human government, and this uh, was an era where, where man was called by God to spread across the earth and to multiply. But of course, man decided he knew better, and he sort of clumped himself together and attempted to build a, a tower up to God, uh, which all went horribly wrong, obviously. Then we come to the era of the dispensation called promise. And in this particular one, um, God calls Abraham, he makes his, his covenant with Abraham, a promise with Abraham that he would minister to uh, his descendants and his people and bless them incredibly. God would do that through Abraham. So God upheld his part of that promise. But of course, man has always fallen short and caused problems within his side of that covenantal agreement or that promise. Then we come to law. And this is to do with the, the nation Israel. Here, Israel failed to keep the, the, the law, proving that salvation could not come to man through the law, through the moral code. There had to be another means for salvation to come. This was a, a public evidence that salvation could only come through, be provided through another person. Obviously, we know that person to be the Lord Jesus Christ as the provider of our salvation, overcoming the law and um, fulfilling the law, if you want. And so then we come to what uh, is known as the grace age, the church age. This is us. This is the era that we find ourselves living in today. This is our dispensation, if you want, our time. And this era is ruled completely or oversaw, overseen completely by God's grace. God is ministering his grace in this era in incredible ways. Um, of course, during this time, the church has been established and the church is being built by the Lord himself for his glory. But of course, with that, the enemy is busily attempting to thwart and hinder all of that church development and growth. But we know that Jesus says himself that the gates of hell, even the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He is going to develop his church and his church will survive and his church will flourish and grow and bring glory to himself. But the enemy is twisting God's truth. The enemy is spreading false doctrine around the church. The enemy is unleashing his wolves of deception into the church. And this is what's causing havoc within the church today. So we're called within that during this church age, this grace age, to present truth and to make truth known very publicly, very clearly. And of course, we believe part of that truth to be uh, eschatological end times teaching. And we're going to look at that over the next number of weeks. Then the following um, era, the following dispensation yet to come is what's called the kingdom age. And this is where God will fulfill the promises that he has made to his chosen people, Israel, in this time known as the millennial kingdom, when he will set up this 1,000 year reign 
um, of uh, happiness, peacefulness on earth. Uh, we will be with him. The church will be with him. This bride will be with him. So all those things we'll look at in the future and see what's going to happen. But suffice to say that that is a future happening where this wonderful reign uh, with Jesus Christ will be set up here on the earth, known as the millennial kingdom. That's the kingdom age. <clears throat> so that's what we got to with those uh, seven dispensations, the breakup of those seven years of time. So today I want to look at um, uh, expanding on from that, uh, a few things that will help us in our preparation as we move into this teaching in the future, because we're going to see things differently along the way from one another. The historical Christian philosopher known as Justin was at one point in time in debate with the renowned Jewish rabbi known as Tarfon, and they were debating uh, the, the authority of the Old Testament manuscripts. Is this real? Is this true? They had lots of questions. Their discussion led them to, to areas of questions such as how exactly had the angels revolted against God? How did that come about? How did that happen? Uh, would the great city of Jerusalem actually be lit, lit, literally rebuilt? Is that really going to happen like that? Will Israel as a nation be gathered with the Messiah and the patriarchs? Is that truly going to happen like that? And in response to such questions, Justin made this comment. He said, I and others that are right-minded Christians do indeed expect that there will be a thousand years in Jerusalem. So he's made clear of a belief right there. He continues, but many who belong to the pure and pious faith and who are truly Christians think otherwise. So he's saying that I think this way, other believers think that way. We've got to work together here somewhere. In effect, what Justin was attempting to make clear at this point in time was that even though he had clear beliefs about end times, as you and I may have, he needed to both recognize and appreciate that others within the Christian faith held to differing views from himself. They believed in Jesus. They loved Jesus. They believed the word. They followed the word. They interpreted the word, and they saw it differently, and therefore they held differing views. And such has been the history of the church even from the, uh, the second century, Christians viewed these future events differently as they looked forward and, and eschatological reasoning and end times understanding, they saw things differently from one another. <clears throat> so as we move into our study of end times, I want to exhort us to be, to be gracious enough to appreciate that we might not always hold to the same interpretation as to others within the Christian faith. Um, we all love Jesus, we want to follow Jesus, we want to glorify him, we want to understand the word of God, but we don't always see things the same way. Uh, to help us with that, pastor and author, uh, Bible teacher Al Mohler suggests that there are three orders of theological issues that affect our practices and our beliefs. He refers to them as first order issues and second, third order issues. First order issues are these. Uh, these are the doctrines that settle at the very core, at the essence of our Christian faith. Uh, doctrines like the, the Trinity, for example, uh, the, the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. You can't debate those things. Uh, justification by faith alone. That's the only way someone can be converted and saved. Uh, the authority of the scripture, the authority of God's word being what we follow, what we teach. Uh, the expected bodily return of Jesus Christ as a future happening. We say that is a core element of what we believe. So collectively, these make up the fundamental truths of our Christian faith. And to deny one of them, or to deny all of them, is to literally deny the Christian faith itself. It's to say we have no essence, we have no foundation. So I'm saying here, if you're a believer, you have to understand and accept and believe 
some of those doctrines and some of those teachings. He then moves to, <clears throat> excuse me, what we call second order issues. These are doctrines on which Christians may disagree. And uh, with those differences, Christianity has birthed many denominations, many congregations, and um, from all of that, there's been others extended out there. So there's all sorts of mishmash of Christian thinking out there today. But following the Bible, following the teachings of Jesus, believing in Jesus, presenting in Jesus, but not seeing everything the same way. So some of these doctrines, for example, could include baptism, uh, whether infants should be baptized or uh, should baptism be only for those who um, have made a clear public uh, profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore they want to publicly pronounce they're following him, and that's the, the purpose of baptism. Some believe in that. So, so the, those are differences right there. Other differences or other issues might include the ordination of women to the ministry. Should women be ordained? Should women not be ordained? All those, we, we see those things differently. Whilst these are doctrines that divide the practice of the church, because they do impact uh, what we do believe, they're not doctrines that divide the belief that core element of our, our faith in Jesus Christ being the Redeemer for sinful man. So even though we have those differences, we all say together and collectively, we believe Jesus Christ to be the only way to God the Father. We believe Jesus to be the Savior of mankind, the only one who can forgive sin. Then we come to third order issues. These are considered to be non-essential issues over which uh, Christians need to work at and learn to agree uh, or to disagree agreeably. And so Muller um, suggests some of these, uh, here, here's what he writes, he says, Christians who affirm the bodily, historical, and victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ may differ over timetable, over the, the time of that happening, over the sequence of it happening, without rupturing the fellowship of the church. He's suggesting even within the same church, there, there can be difference of opinion. Christians may find themselves in disagreement over any number of issues related to the interpretation of difficult texts or the understanding of matters of common disagreement. So he's saying we have the liberty to have difference of opinion, but we have to wrestle and be seeking that correct interpretation of the text at all times. Nevertheless, standing together in issues of more urgent urgent importance, believers are to be are able to accept one another without compromise when third order issues are in question. So he's saying these third order issues, we got to wrestle these, we got to work with these, we've got to come to a place of working together in our differences. Now, so this practice that we're called as we wrestle with the, the scriptural presentation of these end times events. So the Apostle Paul expresses it with these words in Romans 14, verse 1. Accept anyone who's weak of faith, weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. So understand there's a weakness among us as believers, uh, but don't fight and wrestle over these non-essential issues over these um, matters of this dispute. Then he continues in, in verse 5 of chapter 14. He says, one person judges one day to be, more, to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. So he's saying you need to be, have studied God's word, and you need to be fully convinced in your own mind as to what you believe and what you're willing to present to others in that belief. And the reason for such grace and such convincing of one's own mind is that we, as he says in Romans 14, verse 10, we will all, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, according to Paul. So we're all going to stand there. We're all going to have some sort of, some sort of judgment or some sort of rewards offered to us that we'll look at as well. But we, we've got to be prepared for that in this life, this one life, 
prepares us for that time. So with this, we need to have some boundaries that will help us in our, our quest for truth. And it is, after all, God's truth that we want to discover with regard to future events, not, not what the world says, not what society says, not what the newspaper says, God's truth. We want to seek what God says about future events. And as Christianity found its feet within the Roman Empire in the first and second centuries AD, deviant forms of the gospel and of the Christian faith began to develop. So Christianity is maturing, it's getting, getting it's going somewhere, but then there's this deviant forms of gospel presentation, deviant forms of belief creep into the church. That's always been a problem. And the Apostle Paul opposed such deviants vehemently. He referred to it as being another gospel, claiming it to be untrue. It's a false gospel. It's not the gospel we want to present. And the false teachers who were busily spreading this other gospel made claims such as the physical world that we live in is completely evil. They said everything around us is, is, is evil, have nothing whatsoever to do with it. And this thinking led them to proclaim that, that the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future physical return of Jesus Christ never happened and could never happen. So they said physical resurrection never took place and the future return of Jesus Christ, that won't happen either. So they're, they're twisting understanding of what the Bible says in major ways. Others began to make claims such as the entire Old Testament and um, uh, much of the New Testament held absolutely no authority for them whatsoever. They could live as they wanted because this was not God's word they were saying. And only the writings approved by these teachers were to be accepted as being from God. So you had to go to these rabbis, these teachers, who said, oh yeah, that, por that portion, that portion, that portion, we approve those. You've got to live within those confines. So some teachers then attempted to remove all kinds of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ and also his um, resurrection accounts. They want to recognize that Jesus was birthed of a virgin and that he was resurrected from uh, the dead. Well, to protect and help the developing congregations, a summary of essential beliefs was created by the early church. This was a kind of Christianity for dummies, if you want. A basic foundation as to what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, at the very core, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A statement as to what Christians should believe. It became known as the, the rule of faith. And during the second century AD, it became the practice of the church to have all new believers memorize this rule of faith prior to their being baptized. So you want to get baptized, you have to have memorized the rule of faith. And this rule of faith made some major doctrinal uh, claims, some beliefs that were essential to Christianity. Number one, we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ will return in bodily form at some point in the future. Now, the Apostle John writes in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, that we are to continue in him so that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. We want to be like that. We want to live in that appropriate way. That's what we're called to do. And on this issue of the bodily return of Jesus Christ, the, the church has agreed. The church has no difference of opinion, but she has differences within her agreement on that. Um, some see it as a single event after the, the season of the, the tribulation. See, that's when Jesus will bodily return. Others consider Jesus will return. Uh, he will remove his church before the tribulation, and then he will return to reign after the tribulation. So we're seeing that close but different, seeing that understanding in there. We're all saying the same thing. We believe he's going to return 
but we see those the time of that return as being different. Number two, we believe that Jesus Christ will judge all people. He's going to be the judge of all people. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we just mentioned. And he further claims in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1, I solemnly charge you before God and before Jesus Christ, who is going to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus will be the one who judges the living and the dead. Now, while the church agrees that Christ will judge all mankind, she interprets it differently amazingly. Some consider Christ will judge the believers at what is called the Bema or the judgment seat of Christ. And then he will judge the unbelievers at what's called the great white throne. So we see those two judgments there. But others view Christ to judge all people together in one collective judgment so there's those differences of opinion but we all agree jesus will be the one who judges mankind number three we believe in the resurrection of all humanity at some point in time in the future let me read to you from uh, revelation chapter 20 verse 5 and then verses 12 and 13 so 20 verse 5 reads uh, like this uh, the rest of the dead dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed this is the first resurrection. Uh, then verses 12 and 13. I also saw the dead, uh, the great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. So we see the judgment taking place, but we also see that resurrection happening right there so again the church agrees in a future resurrection of those who have passed away those who have died but she holds differing views as to how and when this will actually happen uh, some expect for example a one-time resurrection for all who have died while others see some being resurrected to life before the great tribulation time uh, and uh, then a resurrection of others after christ millennial reign here on the earth so we see these things very differently so there's an appeal that we need to be gracious to one another gentle with one another in our understanding so in all things <clears throat> relating to end times we see lots of unity but also much division within those who believe god's word so as a believer in god's word as i make that assumption of you <clears throat> there's going to be a unity there's going to be an agreement with your brothers and sisters on many things but there's also going to be little points of disagreement and becomes our task, our responsibility to, to navigate a path of interpretation and understanding as we get closer and closer and closer to such a time as the Lord's return, uh, moving into a tribulation time, um, looking forward to that future bodily resurrection and, and looking forward to the bodily return of Jesus Christ. So as we look at all these things in the future, we need to be prepared that we're going to have little differences and see the things differently along the way. But let's be encouraged. We're working from the one book called the Bible. We believe we believe this to be our authority. We believe this to be the, the, the word of God that steers us, directs us. That's where we've got to look to. That's where we've got to turn to, not to anything or anyone else. So with all of that, I want to invite you to journey with us over the next number of weeks as we, we look at a variety of points and issues and grow together, discover together, and find out what God wants and find out what God is planning to do in this world. It's going to be an interesting time, a challenging time, a real time of um, hopeful education for us, and a time when we're each one called to study to show ourselves approved unto God, like Paul told Timothy, as we look at the Word, and we find out what the Word says 
about your future, my future, and the future of mankind, and the future by which God is glorified. So with all of that, let me pray for you, and be encouraged as we step into the future, and let's remember uh, those, um, those the, the, that exhortation from Paul early on, that we, we have to um, accept anyone who is weak in faith, and not be arguing over disputed matters. So let's put some of that stuff aside and say, yes, Lord, we want to be, be a people who glorify you. And as he continues then in verse 5 of Romans 14, remembering that one person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. We have those differences. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. And the only way you can be fully convinced in your mind is to study God's word uh, do this program, and let's find out what God says about these future events. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you will encourage them, build them up, educate them today. All of us, Lord, help us discover what you want and what you have planned for the future, and help us, Lord, to um, walk in a way and a pathway that brings honor and glory and magnifies your great name much. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you that we can uh, go to it. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit will teach us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can discover and learn together as, as your people, even with our little differences. Be glorified, Lord, as we do this. And we pray that um, your spirit, through your word, will reveal great truths to us. Bless us, we ask. We pray all of this in and through our Savior's worthy and wonderful amazing name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to catching up next week. See you then.